0: Let's open up to James 5, and let's uh, listen to this testimony. As, as Ben said, we're going to be going through James 5, so I'm just going to read the first two verses of what we'll be doing. This is uh, 5, 13, and 14. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church, and let them pray for him. Anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And we'll, my, my name is Brenton. This is my wife, Erin. We're going to share a, a brief testimony of how this applied very, um, in a real, real way to us uh, earlier this year. Our six year old daughter, Mirren, first showed signs of life th- threatening food allergies to peanuts and tree nuts around 18 months of age. Even nut dust was enough to cause her to have a reaction. Events that should have been enjoyable like birthday parties and holidays with family became a complicated ordeal as we tried to find foods she could safely eat. No one else in our family had food allergies, so breathing treatments, Benadryl, oral steroids, and the EpiPen were all new to
1: us. Being the mom and Miran's main caregiver, I felt a huge burden for her. I tried different remedies and rigid diets all in an attempt to cure her, thinking each time, this one is going to be the cure. I got so anxious and obsessed about Miriam's allergies, along with other stresses in life, I ended up developing a compulsive eating habit. Like Psalm 127, verse 2 says, I was rising up early and going to rest late, literally eating the bread of anxious toil. Our church counseling program was a huge help to me in coming to terms with my sin and learning to walk in Christ's freedom.
0: In spite of our efforts, last September, Miran's food sen- sensitivities got much worse. She started reacting to ingredients like whole wheat, oats, tomato sauce, different fruits, soy, and corn, which ruled out almost any food that comes in a package. It wasn't like her reaction to nuts causing breathing troubles, but it was an intense itchiness all over her body, sometimes in her mouth, sometimes hurting her throat. Uh, since, she has had, since she's had such serious reactions in the past, We have to treat any reaction she has as a serious one.
1: It was hard to see our child give up favorite foods like cookies, crackers, pizza, and her morning oatmeal because she just couldn't stand the itchiness. It seemed like she was reacting to any food that she ate too often. It was difficult to balance all I could do to physically care for Mirren and at the same time entrust her to the Lord. I identified so much with persistent widow in Luke 18, who just kept coming and coming before the judge, pleading her case. I was also crying out to the Lord, literally crying in the sanctuary for Mirren's healing. The love and support our family and our community group gave us during that time was amazing.
0: On on April 26th this year, we met with the elders of our church and we prayed for Mirren's healing. We prayed together. It was a good time we felt God's love and his presence but there were no physical signs that anything had changed nothing happened even for a few days after we prayed miran was still reacting to her food
1: i posted about this on facebook more people started praying within one week of praying with the elders though miran got much better one day i thought miran had reacted to this tomato sauce last week i will try to give it to her again It was the same jar that had been in our fridge, not just the same brand, but the same jar. I didn't tell her anything. I just served it to her and watched and waited. This time, she was fine. She did not react. So we tried more foods without telling her. When she was was reacting to a tiny amount of corn, now she could eat corn in all forms, including corn on the cob. After a time, we did tell her, we think Jesus is healing you. Now Mirren is eating everything except for nuts. And we won't try those again until we have a clear blood test from her allergist, which we'll do another blood test next year. And the change in Mirren though has been amazing. I feel like shouting from the rooftops, my girl is better. And I can't describe what it was like to think that we would have to deal with this for the rest of her life and not know if healing would ever come. And then we saw that Jesus healed her.
0: Um. Looking back, we can even see how God used Mirren's allergies for great good in our lives. Uh, I was at a very low point spiritually and not leading our family well, but because of Mirren's allergies in 2011, we were forced to abruptly move uh, our family out of Raleigh for a time and had to leave the church we were attending. Uh, this took us to a new church where we, were received, we received great Bible teaching, and I had men speaking into my life. Eventually, this put us back on the path to moving to Raleigh, and this is where we started coming to TCC. Uh, Since then, God has continued to complete the work that he's begun in us. I just want to close with uh, Mm -hmm. Psalm 71, 14, and 15. But I will hope continually and will praise you yet more and more. My mouth will tell of your righteous acts, of your deeds of salvation all the day, for their number is past my knowledge.
2: Amazing. Um, Thank you, Brenton and Aaron, just for sharing your testimony. And uh, we asked them to share their testimony just because James is often called one of the most practical books in the Bible. And as he comes to the end of his letter, he leaves us on a very practical note uh, that he calls his people, God's people, to just humble themselves before the Lord to pray and to pray and to ask with eager expectation, not doubting that the Lord is able to heal them, to meet them in a variety of ways, that nothing is off limits for him. And their testimony is just uh, an amazing example of just believing that God is sovereign over every uh, fiber of my body, over every molecule in my body. If he would delight to hear my, heal my daughter, to heal Miran, then let's, let's ask him. Let's, let's just go to him, believing that he can, and see what he does. And we were just blown away as elders as uh, the reports came back that all of a sudden uh, Miran just started being able to eat everything sort of immediately. And it was really just tremendous encouragement to us. Uh, It just got us excited about thinking, what else might we be encouraged to pray for? And the Lord might be delighted to answer. And so with that, as we come to the end of this series, we've been walking through the book of James. Today, as Ben uh, mentioned when he was leading music, today's going to be a little bit different. We just want to have uh, an extended time of just walking and applying directly, immediately after uh, the sermon, this text, this passage about praying extensively to the Lord and just asking that he would heal us. So we're going to have a shortened time of sermon, of actually walking through the text, or trying to walk through the text more quickly. And then after that, we're just going to have a time of opening uh, opening it up uh, for us to just pray individually, to meet with one another, uh, to confess sin with one another, um, and just believe that the Lord will work through our prayers. So with that, um, if you haven't already, open up to James 5, and I'm just going to walk through the text uh, rather briefly and open up some time for prayer. James 5, verse 13 through 20 is what we'll be going through today. So again, here at the close of James' letter, this last passage is entirely about prayer. He talks about the prayer of the individuals within the church and he uh, calls them to pray individually. In verses 13 and 14, he goes on, 15 and 16, to talk about uh, the community, the, the gathering of the church as a whole, praying together, believing that God can show up. And then he talks about the power of prayer um, at the end of this section. So this is entirely just about prayer, about God's people humbling themselves before the Lord. And here at the close of James' letter, he brings us back full circle, actually, to the trials of many kinds that he announced in chapter 1, verse 2, when he opened his letter by saying to the Christians, count it all joy when you meet various trials, trials for which he went on to promise reward for the perseverance of of God's people through those trials in chapter 1, verse 12, when he said, blessed is the one who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. And as James ends his letter, he gets real with us about those trials, about the difficulties that God's people face on an everyday basis as they fight for joy, as they fight to obey him, to walk in obedience, to walk humbly with him and press on to the end. And he starts out our passage very plainly by asking in verse 13, Is anyone among you suffering? After holding up the suffering of the prophets as an example back in in verse 10, James then relates the experience of these believers to that of the prophets by asking them, Are you likewise in the same manner that the prophets were suffering? And in most other New Testament passages, when this word for suffering is used, it generally does relate to a type of persecution that a believer faces as a result of clinging to the gospel, their fidelity to Christ. However, in James's letter, when uh, while suffering certainly includes the religious persecution, uh, it doesn't seem to be limited to religious persecution. Uh, in James's letter, he is referring more broadly to suffering of all kinds. He's already mentioned the economic oppression of the poor. We looked at that a few weeks ago. Um, Those that were being oppressed by wealthy landowners and not given their wages. In verse 11, he gives the example of Job, who suffered not only economic suffering, losing his possessions and his livestock, but his children dying and suffering in the wake of their death, marital strife in the home, his health also eventually declining. And so James mentions Job Uh, because his life is an example, not just of spiritual suffering, but of suffering of all kinds. And as a result, Job is a person with whom any believer in any state of suffering, wherever you are in your walk with the Lord, can relate. So wherever you come in here today with whatever's weighing on you, whatever's heavy in your life right now, whether it's physical suffering or spiritual suffering, emotional, relational suffering and strain in your life, this passage applies to you. James is talking about your situation. Are you suffering in some way? And to those who find themselves pressed down under the weight of suffering, how does James call them to respond? He says, let them pray. Just as the lean heart has demonstrated for us, let them, let them pray. Let them call out to God. That he might answer them. And the word for prayer here is actually the most common word that comes, uh, that's found in the New Testament. It occurs some over like 80 times, whatever. But it's the most, also the most unspecific word for prayer, the most general word for prayer um, that's found in the New Testament. There are other words that are, that are more specific um, that the biblical writers use that mean to petition or to ask for things, or other more specific words that mean to, to, ple- to plead or to beg. Other words, more specific, that mean to complain or lament, but James doesn't use any of those more specific words. He just uses a very general word for just pray, just call out to God, just meet with Him. It's as if he's saying, I don't know exactly what that needs to look like when you meet with God, whether it's pleading or begging or just crying out or just complaining, venting your frustration to the Lord. But whatever that looks like, when you go to God, just go to Him. He uses the most general, the most broad brush to to paint your situation. Whatever you're dealing with, just pray. Just meet with him. Bear your soul to him. Whether you feel barren in your soul or something is welling up to the brim, whether you can fully articulate it or not, let all of it just spill out before the throne of grace. And whatever needs to happen when you encounter the Holy One, so be it, so long as the result is an added measure of endurance. So long as those embers of faith that were dying when you entered his chambers are glowing just a bit brighter when you leave. There are a thousand ways that our Heavenly Father can mend the hearts of his children when we pray. James just says, only let us, in fact, indeed, fervently pray. Not only does he address the sufferers, those who are suffering in the church at at one end of the emotional spectrum, but he goes on to talk about those who are on the other end of the emotional spectrum, wherever you find yourself in the church. He says, Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. And here the idea is not just merely a a bubbly, optimistic outlook on life that that any person, whether they're a Christian or not, could have if they were given uh, favorable, positive circumstances in their life, if everything was sort of going well and they were able to be cheerful as a result. No, here James has in mind something much more, something that's rooted uh, deeper than in the top soil of earthly happiness that can easily wash away we might more literally translate his word cheerful here as peace of mind. And it's actually a word that, that Paul uses uh, over in Acts chapter 27. Paul is describing one of his missionary journeys when he is out to sea and he's stranded out at sea with uh, a number of his um, companions on a ship. And uh, on one of his journeys, they're out at sea and there's a northeast wind that sweeps down over the coastland and stirs up this terrible storm. And Paul and his companions are caught in the middle of it. And they're scrambling for days to try to gain control of the ship and to survive for several days. He says that the natural sunlight was completely blotted out by these blackened clouds that stretched across the horizon. There was no sun for days. Twice in this frenzy, their ship nearly crashes and runs aground. Um, After the first 24 hours of trying to battle back this tempest, Uh, Out of desperation, they're forced to jettison some of their cargo, to throw some of their cargo overboard in an attempt to alleviate some of the weight and strain on the ship to no avail. Another 24 hours pass, hours of straining, of pulling, of stressing, of wrestling, and still no relief, no break in the storm. They're forced, they even come to a point where they throw over some of the ship's rigging. This is like some of the the main ropes that are used to hoist and draw back some of the sails, basically throwing overboard their last chance to try to manually steer the ship aright and gain control of the ship. Still no relief in sight. It gets so bad that everyone on the ship knows that they're about to die. And they abandon all hope all except Paul. And Paul doesn't abandon hope because he's more courageous or more bold or has more uh, zeal than they do, but simply because God in a supernatural way, in an unnatural way, meets him and an angel of the Lord speaks to him and tells him to have peace of mind, to be still, to take heart. It's as if Uh, James uses this word to say this tearfulness that I'm describing is not just something that happens to natural man, and it's not something that happens when everything is going well in your life. In fact, this is a peace, a quieting of uh, your soul by God's love that happens while everything is still roiling about you in your life in spite of difficult circumstances. James is saying, has God ever given you that? Has he imparted that peace to you? Given you cheer in the midst of uncheerful circumstances? If so, he says, then sing, sing to him. On the importance of believers singing, Charles Spurgeon said this, he said, though the winning of souls be a great thing, though the edifying of believers be an important matter, though the reclamation of backsliders calls for earnest attention, yet never, never, never may we cease from praising and magnifying the name of the well-beloved. He says, this is to be our occupation in heaven. Let us begin the music here. Of course, Spurgeon is referring to Uh, That scene, that glorious scene that we see at the end of the Bible in Revelation, where we see all the believers gathering uh, this uh, enormous throng around the throne room of God and beholding the Lamb of God that was slain, um, singing his praises for finally delivering his people completely out of their sin. And yet we know that even in this life, before we've been completely delivered out of sin and freed from the effects of sin, God is still delivering us in smaller ways every day and imparting his grace to us every day. Therefore, James says, we ought to sing to him. In verse 14, the soul doctor, James, here moves down to the third item on his list of potential diagnoses. And he says, is anyone among you sick? Are any of you sick? Now, this word does not refer uh, merely, to, merely to physical ailments. It's used throughout the New Testament in a number of different circumstances to describe someone who is sick in a variety of ways or weak in a variety of ways. Uh, So it's applied to one's mental ability uh, in Romans chapter 6. It's applied to one's spiritual condition, how closely they're walking to the Lord. Are they sick in their walk with the Lord in Romans 5? Their general physical appearance, are they drained? Are they run down? Are they fatigued? Are they weak, sick in that sense? The conscience one's ability to rightly discern what is in fact good and what is wrong in the eyes of the Lord. Is, is, your, is your conscience sick or weak in some area? And it also refers to sickness in the general way in which we normally use it in terms of uh, the bodily constitution, illness, uh, diseases, weaknesses, physical maladies in some way. That being said, because Uh, James goes on in verse 15 to actually mention things like uh, saving the one who is sick or the Lord raising up, he says, the one who is sick, and that a person's sins are forgiven um, if they confess their sins. These are phrases that are usually used throughout the New Testament to refer mainly to someone's spiritual condition. So it seems that, uh, to, to summarize James' thought here, he's meaning sickness primarily in a spiritual sense. If we look at the whole Uh, New Testament as a whole, but certainly not limited to uh, sickness in a spiritual sense, but sickness of all kinds. Whatever ways in which we experience deficiency or weakness or malady physically, emotionally, relationally, spiritually, whatever is hindering us from chasing down the glories of God and communing with Him, that is sickness. And James calls us Uh, He begins his prescription for this malady in verse 14 uh, here, but he doesn't end his prescription until we get down to verse 16, and we'll see why that's important in a moment. Uh, But first he says, in the rest of verse 14, he says, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. So the office of elder, even in the early church, was well-established, These were spiritually mature men who guided the spiritual development of the local congregation. It's what we aspire to try to do here in TCC, try to to model our uh, church structure after what we see in the Scriptures. Uh, But these men that James is referring to, they were the spiritually mature people in the church uh, that were called to pray, and not because they possessed some unusual power that the rest of the congregation did not possess, um, or some supernatural gift of healing like what Paul mentions in 1 Corinthians 14. This is just the normal efficacious power of prayer that can be harnessed by any local church body. They're being called to simply pray, to cry out to God over this individual, and he mentions anointing the prayed one with oil. Now, this gets into... Uh, this is where people start to scratch their heads and say, like, what's up with the oil? Do we need to still do that? Do I just get some Crisco, some vegetable oil, some olive oil? What's more holy than uh, another? But few, very few scholars actually think that James is referring to some type of physical property of oil. Um, it was actually, it was believed in the ancient world, many cultures believed that there were a lot of positive health benefits to oil. And some of these scholars apply the Bible to the rest of that ancient um, culture context and say, well, maybe what James is saying here is that not only should uh, the elders or pastors be applying spiritual medicine to um, those who are sick or infirmed in some way, but actual natural resources, natural medicine uh, as well. And that certainly seems to be a, um, a idea that is supported by Scriptures, but it doesn't seem to be what James is referring to here. Uh, because most other scholars, and I, I would agree with him, believe that um, james 's understanding of the use of oil here comes from the Old Testament, where in numerous passages, the anointing of the head with oil just vividly showed that a person was being set apart for god 's special attention. Therefore, James is advocating for the anointing of oil to symbolize and heighten the sense of seriousness for all involved, that we are pleading for God's special attentiveness to this particular sick individual, that we are just acknowledging and recognizing together that we want to focus, that we want God uh, to direct his attention to this individual, and it's a way of us increasing our expectation and longing um, that he will, in fact, answer our prayers. Now, the New Testament doesn't Uh, anywhere command this anointing of the oil, so it's not mandatory. James simply recognizes the benefit of elevating the church's expectation and longing for the movement of God. However, as I said before, this act of prayer is not limited to the elders, uh, but rather to all members of the church, really anyone who has enough faith to truly believe and to eagerly anticipate the working of God. God is pleased to work through the prayers of all such individuals in his church. And so James does not say that the the prayer of the elders will save the one who is sick. He he goes on to say in verse 15, the prayer of, not the elders, but the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. James is simply calling, he calls for the elders just because what ought to be the case, but what certainly is not always the case in a church What ought to be the case is that the elders should be the ones that are full of faith, that have a catalog of testimony after testimony, of trial after trial, of seeing God show up in people's broken marriages, irreparable relationships, of God showing up and fixing things that seemed impossible to fix. They should have a catalog, a record of God showing up and answering prayers. And so hopefully, because they've been seeing how God has been working among the body, they should be able to testify that He is faithful, even when we are faithless He is faithful to answer the prayers of his people, and God delights to work through the prayers of people who view him as such, whether they're elders or anyone in the faith, anyone in the church who demonstrates such faith. He goes on in verse 16 to say, therefore, confess your sins to not just the elders here, but to one another, and pray for one another that you may be healed. He's still on the same point of the restorative power of prayer, but he's moved beyond the elders here. This is one another. All of y'all in the congregation are expected to participate, to be a conduit of the power of God that surges through an interconnected body of Christ that all have their attention riveted on him. God has chosen for his power to flow through the prayers of faith offered up by anyone in this church, particularly anyone who is fighting to cling to God and to uh, fighting for righteousness. He goes on in the rest of verse 16 to say, the prayer of a righteous person has great power while it's working. Now, before you get too discouraged and immediately start to think, well, I'm not that uh, morally perfect. There's a lot of flaws that I see in my life. Just understand that his understanding of a righteous person, the righteousness that he's describing here, is not talking about moral perfection but in the same way in which God can count Abraham righteous back in Genesis 15 simply because he believed, he fully, wholeheartedly believed that God was able to accomplish his promise. And God counted that to this sinful man who pawned off his wife twice for his own benefit, who believed that other pagans, who self-righteously believed that other pagans were less spiritual than him when in fact they weren't. That even this flawed man, because he eagerly and fully believed that God was able to accomplish his promise. He was considered righteous. In the same way, James is not talking about moral perfection, but those who equally believe. God is able. God can show up and do the impossible here in unnatural, supernatural ways. God can answer our prayers. That's James's point, and it's why he goes on to give an example of a righteous person in verse 17, the Old Testament prophet Elijah. And he starts out in verse 17 by describing him as a man with a nature like ours, he says. He says, "'Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit.'" Again, the point here of describing this prophet with a nature like ours is to say that he too was a sinful man, one with a sinful nature. And yet because he was fervent in his prayers to the Lord, look at this seemingly impossible, incredible thing that God accomplished through his prayers. He's not giving this example to to uh, lay out for us why we ought to be uh, praying for our own personal preferences, whether we want it 70 degrees, 75 degrees, a little sunny, all that. He's not trying to lay that out. He's simply trying to hold uh, this example out to us as look at the incredible things that God is able to do. What might He be pleased to do in your life? And He also uses this extreme example because he knows that an equal measure of power is necessary to turn to mend, to heal hearts that are infected with sin and that wander and stray from him. Because right after he gives this extreme example, he returns right back, closing his letter in verses 19 to 20. He says, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, Let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. He goes on from giving this example of God pausing the weather essentially for three years to God drawing wanderers back to himself because he realized that it requires the same amount of transformative divine power penetrating hardened human hearts to draw them back to him. And through the prayers of his people, through fervently praying, through imperfect people but who fully believe in the perfect God, that God is able to heal. Sicknesses, physical, spiritual, emotional, relational, whatever it is, whatever is hindering us from chasing after the Lord, the Lord is able to meet us through prayer and answer those prayers, whatever they may be. And so as we said at the beginning of the service, we wanted to sort of cut down this time short and just be really practical with what James says in this text. He calls his people, God's people, to pray to him, to pray individually, to meet with one another, to confess their sins with one another, and uh, promises that God delights through the prayers of his people working together on behalf of one another to meet us and to heal us in whatever way, uh, shape, or form that might look like. So we're just going to do that now. We're going to have uh, an extended time of just prayer. Uh, Ben is going to come up. He's just going to be uh, playing some music uh, while we're praying. There'll be verses on the screen that could help guide you during this time if you're looking for uh, just something to focus or channel your prayers. Uh, But during this time, we just encourage you to, whatever you feel like the Lord is moving you to do, if you want to sit and pray individually, if you want to meet with other people um, around you, confess your sins to one another, Uh, meet with someone else that you just feel the Lord prodding you to go and pray for. Um, Whatever this time needs to look like is is what we want to do. And also there are, uh, the Lord's Supper is out. If during this time you feel led uh, and you're a believer to partake of the Lord and just uh, get right with him through the Lord's Supper, feel uh, free on your own initiative to do that. But um, just let's go to the Lord together during this time. Ben will eventually close us and um, let's just meet with our God. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. work. Just his testimony, just his presence has touched over you.